Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Abel and team. If you don't mind turning to 2 Samuel chapter 6, this is the last message from this series of Living Beyond Myself. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm going to read uh, the, first, the 11 verses there, and we'll, we'll come back to that. I think most of all the other scriptures will be on the screen, but we'll come back to this one and reflect upon it more so as we talk about what I believe um, the Lord is saying to us uh, concerning our, our heart uh, toward him. First verse, 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is talking about King David, who's the second king of the monarchy of Israel after Saul. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baali, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits throne on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and uh, cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his heir and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, as we've stated to you, you know, this is the last uh, message on this series of living beyond myself. This is the fourth one. Uh, and we've tried in this, honestly, just to talk to you about what we believe the scriptures are saying about what our life should reflect. Uh, all of us have some objectives and goals and, and uh, you know, make some choices, career choices and life choices, marital choices, etc. And all of those things, house choices and so on. And all of those things are important. But we never want to lose scope of things, that we've been created by God for a purpose. There's an intent that God has. And some of the things that we oftentimes maybe pursue or chase after are, are things that we believe are important and, 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 and could be. Some of those things might reflect God's will and glory, and some of it doesn't. Some of it could just be some things when we get to it and we get it and we get a hold of it. It's, it's like, it's like, um, it's like bite, biting into cotton candy. It, it just ain't nothing. I mean, people pay for cotton candy, and it, you bite into it, and it ain't nothing. I mean, it just, anyway, it just, that's what sometimes just life is like. People just grab something, and it's just a bunch of fluff that might look good on the outside. But life for us is 
specific. It's, it has a purpose. God designed it with a reason. And, and, and we have to find out what that reason is. And, and it's just like anything that you buy and you purchase. If you want to know how it works, if you want to know how to put it together so it works properly, then you, you read the instructions. We have the instruction manual about our life from the Bible. We also have the Almighty God who's constantly feeding us through word, through sermons, through other people's lives and testimony, etc. But ultimately, we go to him to determine what life is all about. The scripture tells us in 1 Colossians 16 that everything, absolutely everything, begins in God and has purpose in God. And what we also discover when we learn to live that way is that we find ourselves, once we discover this, this whole issue that we can live for eternity, and that's offered through the Almighty God, specifically, of course, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where mankind can make a determination by the work that God is doing in their life and through surrendering to him that their life can be granted eternity, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. We've justified by faith, the scripture says, set apart by him, justified by him. It's what Jesus has done on the cross. Once we embrace that, and we know that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate for this life. The ultimate for this life, although I would love to live uh, to, I don't know why I always say 94 and not 95, but 94 seems like a good year. But I would, I would, that's 40 more years. That's another generation. I would love to live to 94. Probably nobody around me would want, to live, want me to live for 94 years. But 94 does not mean as much to me as eternity. Eternity is what makes the difference. Eternity is the meaning. That's the ultimate. And once you embrace that, realize what Jesus has done, accept the work of the cross, believe in him. The scripture says the spirit of God comes into your life and you're born again. So the word tells us, Jesus told Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. Just like you've been born in the flesh, by the flesh, you can be born in the spirit, by the spirit, and you can enter into the kingdom of God. Can you say amen to that? And when we embrace that and understand that, then we realize then life has a bigger meaning for us here on earth. We've already attained the ultimate in eternity. So now we live to live unto others, live for others, live because of others so that we can do what God has called us to do while we're here on earth. Once we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that my life no longer belongs to me. It belongs to him, that he is my Lord, I am his servant, as Billy so eloquently, uh, eloquently sung, uh, I am a child of God. And since I am a child of God, then he is my father. And, be, and, and so part of some of what we do and some of the things we do was, is very much reflected in, in the various things we do, not only uh, personally, but even in the church. You, you've heard this, you know this, that one of our values says is our city. We love our city. We love our city. We take responsibility for our city and we want to serve our city and do some of the various things that we do that has an impact upon other people's life. It was Jesus who first said it, and he said it best. He said, let your light shine before others so that when they see the good works that you do, that they will give glory or they will glorify your Father who's up in heaven. 
Now, we do this because that's what God has called us to do. That's what God has invested in us to do. That, and and, we, and we, do it as, we do it not because we want any glory. I, just to share a little bit about Serve Day yesterday, and I, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this. I, I do really want to get to the message. But, but, but I'm telling you yesterday when we had over 100 people, I think we got a picture of this, 100 peop- almost 100 people that gathered here to be able to go out and serve our city. It was fascinating. People that committed themselves came early in the morning and going to places and agencies around town to say, hey, we're here to do whatever you need done. When, we, when I went to those various places, every one of them that I went to, I could see a story. This is probably one of those parts of the message where I can't seem, probably won't get through it without emotion. I told Virginia, I've been crying a lot during the message. She's like, oh, I'll just keep crying. I like to see you crying. I don't like to cry, but I'm just saying, but, 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 Every place I went, there was a story. Uh, and and, and what, what got me to thinking about the stories is when, you, when the, the different places, Carol Brown at the Helping Hand Club, she said, you know, I'm so glad that you guys are doing this, that you're doing this. And at the, at the Boys and Girls Club, I'm so glad that you're doing this. And at the Girl Scouts, I'm so glad you're doing this. And every time somebody would say that, what would come across my mind is it's not about me. It's not about me because place after place was a story. I could go to the Boris Club and I could see uh, 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 Jerry and his, and his family there serving and, and the folks that they asked to come to the church and, and the Herrera families there serving and then they asked somebody to come to the church and these are people that I never even met before and that they're serving because somebody loved them enough to say, hey, Jesus loves you and God wants to change your life. And because God has invested in our life, we want to invest in the life of others. I could go to the mission and see Charles Fairman, who just had a family member die and say, but I'm still, I want to serve here today. And then Esmeralda, who takes his place and, and serves there. And I could go there, go to the Girls and Boys Club and yeah, watch Tyrone learn how to put together a tent, but also see the Espinosa family who I had never met. And I asked them, how did you get to the church? How long you been at the church? Said, we've been here just a little over a month, maybe, maybe two months. Why did you come? He says, well, we grew up this way. But, but every week, me and my wife would say, and you might be here, Edgar, and your family. Me and my wife would say, you know, this just ain't, it's not doing it for us. There's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to serving God. There's got to be more purpose in life. And we want to show our children what that means. And we've been going to a church where we give and we give and we give. And we don't see what they do, but we see what CTC is doing week after week after week. Those are the kind of stories. When I walk into the back of the Salvation Army and I see Boney Wise there, who's been a friend of mine for years, and to see his commitment to Jesus. And serving people because God loves him and he recognizes. That's the kind of, those are the stories. Those are the stories that have any impact in our community. And you come away with the conclusion, everybody who does that has to come away with that mindset, it's not about me. It's not about me. This is bigger than me. And, and you know, when I think about that, I, I thought of a Bible character, a, 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 a historical event in the Bible, of a person by the name of Obed-Edom, who I think has demonstrated what that means probably I don't know, one of the best demonstrations of it in the scripture that I, can, that I, that I have read. And, and before I tell you about Obed-Edom, the, the, first, the first time we see him is actually in this passage that I just read in 2 Samuel 6. But let me back up a little bit so I can tell you why Obed-Edom's story sounds is just brilliant and amazing and one that I wish all of us would get a hold of. 
There was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, sometimes called the Ark of God, sometimes called the Ark of the Testimony. And we may have a picture of that in just a moment. The Lord told Moses and the, when he was preparing the people of God to go into the promised land, there were certain things that they had to build that symbolized certain things about God and about their faith and about serving him and what that meant. One of the things that he told Moses and them to build was this Ark, was the Ark of the Covenant. It's a little box. This box is maybe, I don't know, maybe almost four feet, maybe three feet deep, maybe three feet wide, something of that nature. Has a, has a lid on the top that's overlaid with gold, wooden lid, and then those cherubim that are there, which, which are the angels of God. And it was at that seat where the, holy, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. They were the only ones that could see that, and that's an important point to make. That would be behind the curtain where only the high priest could go. And once a year, he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood from the, uh, the, the lamb that was sacrificed. He would sprinkle it over that holy, uh, over that, um, uh, over the lid, the mercy seat, which represented the atonement. When that blood was sprinkled up on that mercy seat, it was for the atonement of all the nation of Israel. The sins that they had done for the year, God was setting aside so that they can continue to be in a right relationship with him. And the scripture tells us this. There's a couple of things in there, by the way. There's the, the, the Ten Commandments was in there, the law. There was a, the manna, some manna bread was in there and Aaron's rod, which all of that represents his word, uh, his miraculous power, and his provision. That was all in that Ark of the Covenant. Now, when the Lord had that built, when they, when they built that, at that time, the nation didn't have a king. And as time progressed, if I could just fast forward, the land was under the rule of judges. Still no king. But they knew that that represented the presence of God. And you'll find in 1 Samuel chapter 4 that there's a time when the nation of Israel is in a battle with the Philistines. And they're about ready to lose that battle. And, and I probably should say that the Lord had already gave a word through the prophet that they were going to lose. That they were getting ready to go into judgment. Because as time went on, as the nation of Israel became more populated and as years, hundreds of years moved forward, they, they separated themselves more and more from God, started worshiping idol gods, just acted in rebellion and sin. The book of Judges will tell you all about it. People lived like there was no king and they lived as if they did not know God. And the Lord had said that there's going to be a judgment that's going to come upon you because of the way you're living against me. First Samuel chapter four is when we see this, this judgment begin to take place. They go out for battle. They're losing to the Philistines. And what they decided to do, the elders decided, because the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God, go get the Ark of the Covenant. Bring it out of that holies of holy place and let's take it out to the battlefield because it represents God's presence. And if God's presence is there, maybe we'll win the battle. Well, they still lost the battle. Because that was what God said was going to happen. Philistines defeat them. Not only do the Philistines defeat them, but the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. Because they know that it represents God. So they figure if they take the Ark of the Covenant, then they are showing an absolute defeat to the nation. And we've conquered your God. And so they take the, they take the Ark of the Covenant. In chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, you see where they set the Ark of the Covenant in the same room with their God. 
And there's a great story about that. Our God, of course, is always prevailing. Their God ends up getting absolutely destroyed, even in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. But God did not want them to have it. It didn't belong to them. They didn't handle it right. They didn't serve the same God. So God struck them all with hemorrhoids. Ain't that terrible? I mean, struck them with hemorrhoids. And, and, then, and then invaded the land with rats. The hemorrhoids is enough. I don't need the rats. I'd have got the point right there. I'll, okay, I'll leave it alone. All right, so, yeah. Hemorrhoids and rats, they figured, okay, this ain't going to work. We need to get this thing back to, them, to those folks. So they took the ark back and they took it to, to the nation of Israel, said, here, this is y'all's, it belongs to you. They took it to a place called Kirajirim. And then from there, they put it into the house of a man by the name of uh, I, I said this earlier, I may not say it right again, Abinadab, something like that. You see it. I read it. That's right. Starts with an A. Ends with a dab. Let, let's, just, let's just call him Adab. Yeah, so they put it in the house of Adab. So it's in the house of Adab for almost 70 years. Almost 70 years. A little bit of controversy about how long, but this is what we do know is there for the whole time that Saul becomes king. The, the, God finally tells Samuel, go anoint the people, go anoint the king, and that king is Saul. Saul was the king for 40 years. After Saul came David. All that whole time, the Ark of the Covenant is at the house of Adab. Now, David knows something about the Ark of the Covenant because David was a worshiper, and David's heart was always to go into the courts and into the presence of God and worship the Lord. David also knew that the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Not only, so it represented the presence of God, but it's the place where God has shown his mercy. It's the place where God shows himself up and appears as the God of power, the God of word, the God of, mirac- the God of miracles, the God of provision. It's the place by which the high priest go before and worship the Lord. David had the heart to worship. And David also knew this, that if we're going to be a blessed nation and a blessed people, then I want the Ark of Covenant wherever I am. So David makes the decision to go down to Adab's house after all those years and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to where he's going to be, which is city of Zion, we call it. Uh, um, yes, a city of Zion is Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem. It's where David was building his palace. He was going to bring it there. And there's a, there's a story about that, and I'll, I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Catch this. He's not going to take it back into the temple. Yeah, maybe I'll finish that part. He's not going to take it back into the temple where only the high priest can get to it. David knew this. If we're going to be a people that are a blessed people of God, if we're going to be a people that honor God with all of our hearts, mind, and soul, we need the Ark of the Covenant that represents God to be at a place where everybody can get to it. Where it's not just the priest that goes behind the curtain once a year, but all the people of God can go before the ark and worship the almighty God. No matter who you are, if you know the God of Israel, you can go before the ark of the covenant and worship him. So David said, bring it here. I'm going to build a tabernacle, a tent that everyone can go and worship the Lord and be right there in the presence of God. So he goes and gets it at Adab's house. And mind you, there, he puts it on this uh, cart that they're pulling with some oxen. 
And they're happy. They're excited. David is thrilled. We're going to have the Ark of the Covenant now. After all these years, the presence of the Lord is going to be among us and all of us can go and worship. And they're dancing and they're festive and they're pulling it and they get to a place where the oxen start to stumble. When the oxen stumble, two of the sons of Adab are leading. One of them reaches up to keep the ark from falling and the Lord strikes him dead. Now there's a lot to that and there's a lot I can say about that, but here's, here's the bottom line in a short statement. The ark of the covenant had been where it had been for so long and the nation of Israel had so little regard for it that they didn't care how they handled it. And that's a statement to us when it comes to worshiping God. Serving and worshiping our God, it ain't, like, it ain't like Burger King where you can have it your way. There's a manner in which we worship our God with heart, mind, and soul. And they just quickly decide, oh, we can fix this. And no one was supposed to do that except the priest. No one's supposed to do that except the Levites. As a matter of fact, you wasn't even supposed to put it on a cart of oxen to bring it. The scripture says that it's to be carried by a priest up on their shoulders. But why did they put it on a cart? I'll tell you why they put it on the cart. Because that's what the Philistines did when they sent it to them. And this is what they thought. If it worked for the Philistines, it'll work for us. We don't need to check the word. We don't need to check the scripture. And that ought to tell us something. Just because stuff works in the world and secular don't mean it's going to work in the church. We, we need to know what God says and what God says about it. So David, so Uzziah struck dead. David is baffled at what happened because he didn't check the scriptures to see how he was supposed to handle this and what he was supposed to do. Scripture says initially that he gets upset with God. And then he decides, well, I can't do this. I don't, know, I don't know what God is doing. He didn't sit up there and kill this man's son whose house it was in all those years. And again, I told you why. They didn't, they didn't have no honor for it or regard for it. So David said, let me just put it in the house of Obed-Edom. That's the closest place here. So they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. Now the scripture says that while it was at the house of Obed-Edom, I, I did catch you back up, right? Because I told you I was going to talk about Obed-Edom. I'm there. I'm back at him. So they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. The scripture says while it was in the house of Obed-Edom, everything about his house was blessed for three months. Folks driving by Obed-Edom's house and man, his lawn is green. He's got new sidewalks. He's got brand new Anderson windows and double French doors. His roof has got a pinnacle peak on the top. And they hauling in furniture and furniture. And man, I think I saw a Range Rover in front of Obed Edom's house. I mean, the dude, his kids are busting out with brand new shoes and new clothes and everything, the latest and the finest. And they ain't just walking out, their pockets is jingling because they got a little money in their pocket. I mean, everything is going good. For Obed-Edom. And somebody tells David, man, Obed-Edom's house, dude, he is being blessed. I mean, ever since you put that thing there, he is being blessed. And you know what David said? Let's go get it. Let's go get it. But this time David checks it out and finds out what he needs to do. And he understands how he's got to move it. Now, let me tell you why I think Obed-Edom gets this, it's not about me. Because he was going to move it from Obed-Edom's house to, to Jerusalem, which could have been as much as maybe 60 miles. 
Maybe. Maybe not quite that much, but it could have been. It could have been like driving from here to El Centro. And when they come to get it to Obed, at Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom could have said, oh, I see. Now I'm getting blessed, and you want to come take it. My family doing good, real good. Better than your family, that dude died. And now you want to take it? Obed-Edom could have said, come on, man. We know the presence of God resides with this. We know, I know how to worship the Lord. I even had a special place for it in my house, and I taught my family how to worship before the ark. And now you're going to take it and move it somewhere else? But Obed-Edom didn't do that. As a matter of fact, if you read 2 Samuel 6 and primarily 1 Chronicles 13 through 15, Obed-Edom had it's a not about me mentality. Because this is what Obed-Edom come to the conclusion. If being in the presence of God is that good and learning how to worship God is that good, you know what, David? I think you ought to take the ark because this ain't just about me. I want the whole nation to learn how to worship you. I don't want you, you, you're so right. I'm glad you come to get it. Even with all the blessing, I'm glad you came to get it because I want the whole people of God to know that God is present and God's word is there and God is powerful and God is a God of miracles and God is a God of provision. I want the whole nation. You're not going to take it to the temple. You mean you're going to set in the place where everybody can go and worship the Lord? David, I'm all for that. But that ain't just it. Let me tell you what Obed-Edom did. Obed-Edom said, family, pack up. We moving. Where we moving to, daddy? We moving where the ark is. And let me tell you what Obed-Edom is. The scripture says Obed-Edom picked up a, he picked up a lyre, which I don't know what a lyre is, so I got me a tambourine. So Obed-Edom, the scripture says Obed-Edom picked up a musical instrument and said, David, I tell you what, not only am I going to let you take it, I'm going to leave this thing out of here. I'm going to leave this thing out of here because I want everybody to know God is a God to be worshipped. Because he knew it's not about me. It's not about me. I didn't have much rhythm to it, but you got the point. Never did learn how to beat a tambourine. I like the ones with no cover anyway. You know, you. anyway, I'll talk to you about it at home. Stop looking at me like that. But, but, but he went from the lead musician. You, you read First Chronicles 13, 14, and 15. He went to being the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper, showing people how to worship when they came to the Ark of the Covenant. Then he went to serving as a Levite, raising up his family to help serve the people of God who were learning how to worship before the Ark of the Covenant. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that Obed-Edom produced 68 people in his family and taught them how to worship the Almighty God that we can teach the whole nation how to worship. Why did Obed-Edom do that? Because it's not about me. Am I talking to the right church? And and I'm telling you, we can, as Christians, can have that mindset and let it work for us. Family still blessed, still provision. Get away from that me-centric stuff, which is which is overwhelming the culture. Or we can stay stay wrapped up in it 
And to me, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is in Isaiah chapter 39. It talks about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a blessed king. And then he came down with an illness. And, and chapter 38 of Isaiah is fantastic of his encounter with Sennacherib. It's just great reading. They don't make movies that good. But God blessed him. He overcame. Then he got struck with sickness. And, and he went to the Lord to be healed. And the Lord said he was going to heal him. And give him 15 more years, I believe is what it was. And the Lord told Hezekiah, I'm going to show you that I'm, that I'm keeping my word. The scripture says he moved the sundial back so that, so that you would see that I said this, declared it, and watch what happens. So he got the proof that God had healed him. Hezekiah's mindset after that was, oh, man, I, God, is, God is my man. Me and God got it going on. I could just about do whatever I want to do because God is with me. And you'll read chapter 39, and Hezekiah had done some things that was absolutely contrary to the will of God. God came to Hezekiah, or actually the prophet did, came to him with the word of the Lord, and he said to him, Hezekiah, what you've done is wrong. And because of what you've done, there's going to be some things that's going to take place in your family. As a matter of fact, it's going to take place right in your household, and it's going to take place right among your own sons because of what you've done. Now, I want you to catch this. The prophet tells this to Hezekiah, and this is what Hezekiah says. Hezekiah says, so you're saying what's going to happen is going to happen to my sons and their children. The prophet said, yeah, that's right. And Hezekiah says, oh, that's good, because that means it won't happen to me. That means I'll have peace in my days. See, that's me-centric. That's missing the mark. That's, that's not realizing that we got to live beyond ourselves. That, that it, it, it ain't just about me. It is about others. It is about loving others. It is about serving others. But can I just tell you, fathers and, uh, and, uh, and mothers, it's about your children. It's about your children's children. It's about leaving a legacy of faith and a heritage of faith. It's about perpetrating those things of God for generations and generations. It's not just about me. It's not just about me. It's about what God is telling us. I'm going to wrap this up with just two verses because I, I want you to just have the mindset of Paul. Listen to what Paul says in First Philippians 1, 21 through 25. He says, for to me... Living means living for Christ. That's actually the quote of all quotes that define this whole series. Living means living for Christ. But then watch this. I like this too. This defines me. And dying is even better. But watch this. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I've I've always thought about this. Paul is almost talking to us like we would view somebody flying a kite. Because, you know, on the one hand, to get the kite up in the air, you got to have some wind and some breeze that pulls it up. But on the other hand, you don't want the kite to get away from you. 
So on the one end, you got, you got the air pushing it, pushing the kite up in the air, but you down on the ground holding it down because you don't want to get away. And Paul is saying, I'm kind of living like a kite. There's a part of me, there's a part of me, man, I want to go up, up, and away. But there's another part of me that's holding me down on the ground. And he goes on to say, it's as much better for me if I was there. But because of you, because of the labor of love, because of the fruitfulness and what we can do in this city, in this community, in the lives of others, he says, it's better for me to stay. It's better for me to stay. And that's the kind of commitment that we got to have. It's not about me. It's about your joy. It's about your faith. It's about your growth. We see the same thing with Jesus. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had it all, and he gave it all up so that people might have eternal life. And I'll close with this verse because Paul obviously took that example, and he, he says it this way, and it's... it's, a, it's It's a combination of a few verses, but this is what Paul says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Can I get an amen there? But then Paul goes on to say this. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others. Watch this. So that many may be saved. That's where it's at. It's right there. I, Paul says, I do what is best for others, not what is the best for me. Why? So that they also might be saved. And then he makes that next statement in the very next verse of chapter 11, verse number one. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Everybody stand if you would. That, that's my heart desire for you. That's my prayer. That's my encouragement. If we can just follow the example of Paul who followed the example of Jesus, if we can just have the heart of Obed-Edom, I'm telling you, we'll all rest in the same spot that this really ain't about me. It ain't about you personally. It's about those that Christ is trying to save. Every head bowed, eye closed. Prayer team, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come if you don't mind. And Father, Again, I've done my best to try to communicate what I believe you want the people of God to hear today. I want to thank you again for the opportunity to do so with your grace, with your anointing. I want to thank you, Lord God, just even for the love of the people. Lord, their, just their desire to hear and to give attention and to allow these things to really affect their heart and their mind. The end today, Lord God, the end objective, of course, is is people will rest in that place of understanding that first and foremost is your offer of eternal life, of eternity. That's the first thing, Lord God, is us losing ourselves, losing ourselves, and living this life, Lord God, for your sake and for the gospel. Understanding, Lord God, the real, the real deal is the offer of eternity that comes through Christ alone. So, Lord, I do pray for that and and ask, Lord, today that the ministry of the Spirit will certainly affect those that you're calling. And Lord, also, even as we 
saw with little Aiden this morning. Lord, that determination to let the world know, friends, family, to make it public, I am a child of God. I'm going public with my faith. Not being ashamed of who we are and who you've made us, what we've become. Lord, we carry that out, Lord God, in not only our day-to-day living in our homes and in our marriages and among our children, but even like we demonstrated yesterday in our city, serving others with the love of Jesus. Father, so it is my prayer that we, that we as a church get it. Every individual in this house gets it. And Lord, I, 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 I know also, Lord God, that there might be some among us that's still a little bit skeptical of all of this, still don't know how to put all this together, don't, they may believe in a God, may not believe in a God, but don't really know what it has to do with their life. I'm, my prayer is that the Spirit of God will just keep working, that the Word of God will keep Lord God, just drawing them. And Lord, that you would do what you so graciously do to every one of us that proclaim your name. By your sovereign will, Lord God, just draw them into your fold. And so, Lord, we pray for that. Now, I'm going to ask you for just a moment to just keep your heads bowed. And I just want to ask just maybe two questions. The, the, The first one just has to do with with um, that heart, just your heart and believing maybe that something today affected you and you you want to get to where you really are allowing the Lord to live out through you and nothing fancy about this but if you're here and you're you're one of those ones that just say yeah you know pastor I do I just I I just want to get more and more to that place of surrender where, where the Lord can Use me for good works that my Father in heaven may be glorified. If that's you, just raise your hand. Nothing fancy about that. I'll just pray for you now. Father, I thank you for all of these, Lord God, who, yeah, I just thank you. And I just pray, Lord God, that you will help us all do that, get to that place, that we just do more good works and uh, allow, allow you to be glorified. This one is a little, I want you to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just one more. This one's a little bit more important. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And when I, when I count to three, it's, it's for you if you're here and you, you haven't made that commitment to Christ. You know the Spirit is drawn and you know you're being tugged, heart, mind. And, and uh, yeah, you, you just know it's all God. It ain't you. It ain't you just feeling funny and tingly and all of that. You know that something beyond you, maybe even within you, is just bringing you to a place to, to surrender your life to God. I'm going to count to three. It, uh, it, it, it will be one of the be- most important decisions you can make in, in life. And when I get to three, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand up just for a moment. I'll look and then you can put that hand down. But I don't want you to miss the opportunity to make that statement. It's the initial statement that you can make just by lifting your hand and say, yeah, I, I want to surrender my life to Jesus because I want to pray for it. So when I count to three, if that's you, for the first time you want to make that commitment, just lift your hand up. One two, three. Just lift your hand and say, yeah, that's me. God bless you. Yeah, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put it down. I'm going to wrap up now. All eyes, all eyes. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Those of you that lifted your hand and said this is a first time thing, I'm going to give you a couple opportunities. One is you can come and meet with one of these dear people and let them know, hey, I, I want to make a commitment to Christ. I raise my hand. They'll pray with you and, and we'll do some good follow-up. 
You can also pull out one of those red connect cards in front of you and write your name on there, email, phone number, whatever. Check off the box. I committed my life to Christ. If you here and have committed your life to Christ and haven't been baptized, do the same. You can put that on that connect card. If you want to follow up, you want to be in a small group, need a follow up for that, uh, want to serve in some capacity, you can do that on that connect card. Anything you want to communicate to us, prayer requests, you can do on that connect card and put it on your way out uh, in the offering box and we will follow up on you follow up with you but we want you to be very much um, blessed by the love of God and the love of this house and the love of this church and uh, and I have no doubt Jesus would do some great things in your life I'm gonna say a prayer we're gonna they're gonna there's gonna be a time for you to come if you if you need prayer for healing if you need prayer for any matter the altar is gonna be open we're gonna go into a song of worship some of you like to stay and worship a little longer you can you can move up front if you want a little bit closer some of you uh, may need to leave and if so you're free to do so but this is what I want you to do I want you to have a great week a blessed week I hope I see as many as possible with, of you on Friday night but go out and glorify Jesus those of you who need prayer please come on up we want to love up on you father we thank you for this opportunity to worship in the house of God we thank you for the ministry of the word the ministry of music the ministry of love and fellowship of the people and Father, we're asking you, Lord God, to do great things. Those that come for prayer, we believe the Spirit of God is going to work in a mighty way. And we thank you for that, changing lives, transforming lives. Thank you for those who lifted their hands and say, I want to make that commitment of faith. Lord, you continue to do a work in them and be glorified in them. Lord, help us to do your will throughout this week in this city before you, that Lord God, our Father, will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. May the people of God shout hallelujah.